Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes, and I'm joined, as usual, by Terry Fakes to continue talking about the books that have really shaped and affected us, both in theology and faith and life. And as if Tim Keller and John Piper, Thomas Chalmers were not big, big, big influences in the first couple episodes in this series, we we may have come to an even bigger influence. And this may surprise people, but today we're going to talk about Eugene Peterson. Uh, and I think it is surprising, but as you go back and look at his uh, core of work and the various books he's written, the message paraphrase of the Bible, his pastoral work, he quietly has had a huge impact on a lot of people. And I think the key word there is he's done it very quietly. So I think an interesting way to start this conversation about Eugene Peterson, and we're going to focus on two of his books today, although he's got so many great books, we're going to focus on Working the Angles, which is almost a manual for pastoral ministry, and Under the Unpredictable Plant, which is a kind of book that Eugene Peterson wrote several of. I'm not sure I've ever come across anyone else writing a book like these books. He, he's got this book, which is essentially about Jonah, but it's kind of about everything by talking about Jonah. And right. then he does this over and over again. So another one of my favorite books of his is called uh, Run with the Horses, which is about Jeremiah, but it's also uh -huh. bringing Jeremiah into real life and uh, a long obedience in the same direction about the songs of ascent, reversed thunder, which is about revelation revelation yeah so he, he has a way of uh five smooth stones which is right which is about the uh what, what's the hebrew word for that collection the megillah the megillah mm -hmm. uh some of the more obscure old testament books esther ruth song of solomon ecclesiastes and job i think is that right no it's uh more obscure than that i wish you hadn't asked me that <laughs> <laughs> I'll think of it in a minute. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. Esther. But Did you say Esther? Esther, Yeah, Esther's definitely in there. It's some of these yeah. books that kind of go between the history and prophetic books in the Hebrew canon. And yeah. anyway, I don't think I've ever read anybody writing books like this where you essentially are doing an exposition of a book, but it's not a commentary. It's a, it's a right. book about ministry and life and following God using the text. And I only mention this whole suite of books to preface a point that we're going to come back to later. I think this is one of Eugene Peterson's great legacies, is bringing the Bible into these kinds of contexts, putting people into the biblical stories. And Under the Unpredictable Plan is probably his best book in that category, where he talks about the Jonah story in a way that you will never see Jonah the same way again. So we're going to hit on these two books. And we're going to talk about their impact on us, but we're just going to talk broadly about Eugene Peterson's impact. And for a lot of people, the message is the first way they encounter Eugene Peterson. It was not the mm -hmm. first way I encountered Eugene Peterson, and I don't think it was the first way you encountered him either. How did you come across Eugene? Uh, that's a really great question. The first way I came across Eugene Peterson was when I left the business world and went to work at a church. So I left. Uh, a, a world where I was a business person, but I had a ministry of teaching, and as I believe all of us do. And we all have our ministry things we're working in. It's not an either or. But when I came to be full time at a church, 
And I was looking for the idea of, well, okay, if I'm going to be a pastor, I want to understand what a pastor actually is. So, of course, I started reading the New Testament even more with an eye toward what were Timothy and Titus? How were they called? What what did Paul have to say to them? And looking at the disciples. But I came across this book by Eugene Peterson called The Contemplative Pastor or Contemplative Pastor. And I read it. It's a small book. I have read it so many times. And he he has a really different take on what it means to be a pastor as opposed to running programs or you know, being an official in a church or, you know, sitting in a lot of meetings. And he really opened up my mind and my heart to a a very biblical way of thinking about it. And he would say, basically, uh, to summarize it, that a pastor is a minister of the word. You are here to teach and preach and speak the word. Secondly, you're here to teach people to pray. And thirdly, to help people understand what's happening in their life as you shepherd them in light of what God is doing in their life. And if I could summarize that whole idea of pastor to those three things, and it really resonated with me. So for me, it was more of his writing about uh, the pastoral vocation. How about you? How did you first come across Peterson? Well, I was doing an internship in college after my sophomore year. And uh, the person who was overseeing the internship assigned the contemplative pastor to our internship group, which, of course, was you. So you were you were my introduction to the uh, work of Eugene Peterson. And it was a great formative text coming at it from a similar vantage point of not knowing exactly what it means to be a pastor, but probably having a cultural conception of what it means to be in ministry and then yeah. having that radically shaped by what Eugene Peterson talks about. And in hindsight, what's interesting about his approach to pastoral ministry is he's writing about the same time, but almost in response to the big pastor as CEO movement, yeah. right? which is still among us, but was, was certainly big in the late 1990s, early 2000s, church growth movement, seeker church movement. Right. Pastor is CEO, Bill Hybels, you know, Rick Warren. And if you think of a pastor that way, and there's certainly some similarities to what a CEO does and what a pastor does, but if you think of the pastor that way, they are essentially running an organization. That's that's what a CEO does. They are right. uh, making sure the organization is healthy, making it sure it's, it sticks to its goals, allocating resources, managing staff. They are working on the organization. And that's a very easy thing to do in ministry because in some sense you are running a small business and the bigger your church is, the bigger the business is. Right. And uh, there's a lot that you have to do that, that that's similar to what you would do at a regular company. Eugene Peterson comes along and instead of the model of pastor as CEO, he really has the pastor as shepherd or even pastor as priest uh, right. Not in the way that we use the word priest today, more like a biblical mm-hmm. understanding of the word priest or prophet. Uh, and I think at the heart of Eugene Peterson's conception of what it means to be in ministry is a prophetic kind of gift and service that uh, you offer to a congregation. Well, these are just totally different ways of conceiving of the role of being a pastor. And I, I love the way that uh, the contemplative pastor starts with a pushback against the busy pastor. It's right. really kind of a 
paradigm setting story he talks about if you went into a doctor's office and you're sitting there in the waiting room and there's nobody there, nobody's coming in or out. And you kind of get a little restless and you're wondering when your appointment's going to be. So you look through the door that's a little bit ajar to the back area where all the procedures are. And you see the doctor there sitting in his office with his feet kicked up on his desk. What what would you think about that encounter? You, you probably would lose some faith in the doctor because if he's not busy, then he must not be a very good doctor. Right. But the problem is people impose that vision of life and ministry onto pastors where, well, the, the pastor, a sign of a good pastor is that the pastor is busy. And Eugene Peterson is going to absolutely diametrically oppose this idea that a busy pastor is a good pastor. So much so that I think he would probably say a busy pastor likely isn't as good a pastor as they should be. And uh, if you've ever thought about pastoring at all, it probably comes as a shock to you. That, that he would say that. But I think there's a lot to that paradigm of ministry. That that was very shaping for me. Of course, pastors need to work hard, but maybe expand a little bit on what he means by that. That was very convicting to me. That chapter, the unbusy pastor, was the idea, and this is a thread that's going to run through a lot of his work, is there is a worldly mindset. I mean, there is the flesh, there is the spirit. This is a very biblical idea. And that we have the mind of Christ and we look at the world differently. And one of the challenges for pastor that he writes about a lot is that you'll be with a group of people, your congregation, and they're going to continually ask you to do worldly things and throw a little holy water on it. And that's because that's the life that they live. So busyness is one of those things. They're going to bring the world standard that if the busier you are, the better you must be. And he's going to push back with very solid biblical reasons. Now, obviously, he's not advocating for laziness here. But the idea that if you don't have margin, how can you possibly go into those people's lives and help them find margin in their lives and reorder their priorities when I look the same way they do. And that was personally very convicting to me. And it was very good not to say, just don't be so busy. It was more of a don't buy into the whole worldview that is governing our society. I need to be an example of what it looks like if you don't buy into that worldview. So Mm -hmm. for me, that was very convicting. Busyness in and of itself was not helpful for a pastor, but in a larger sense, buying into that whole worldview. And I think you'll see that theme run through a lot of things in his writings. Yeah, I think there's a quote from Peterson in that book that says, how can you lead people beside still waters if you've never been there? And right. uh, that that's a really penetrating question for any spiritual leader, is you're trying to lead people into a deeper relationship with God. Do you have one? You know, do you right. do you have that deeper relationship? Have you spent time in prayer seeking the Lord? Do you have his presence in your life in a way that you can show other people how that works and deliver what God is saying to your congregation? So there's a totally different axis of understanding what it means to be a pastor. And while Contemplative Pastor is a really good book, you and I are agreed that Working the Angles is probably his best book on pastoral ministry. It's a little bit more specific. It's a little bit less uh, reactive to other conceptions of what it means to be a pastor. It's right. just straight down the middle. Here's the three things that you should give yourself to as a pastor. 
prayer, scripture, and spiritual uh, spiritual direction. Direction. Uh huh. So walk through a few of those. What did you learn from Peterson in these areas, and what did he say? Well, just one thing to point out: those three parts of being a pastor that I got out of contemplative pastor, you know, the ministry of the word, being in the word, teaching the word, communicating it, prayer, and then helping people understand what God is doing in their life, how to make sense of their life. That these are those three categories. That's what he means by spiritual direction. Not necessarily a formal program of spiritual direction, but more of a let me enter your life with you and let's try to see what God is doing as opposed to just my life is happening to me. The first chapter or the first section actually is on prayer. And he opens it up with a great definition of a different way of thinking about what it means to be a pastor. I'm going to suggest to you that if you're not a pastor, think about this as being a great definition of a Christian in our world. He says this, uh, people we have set apart certain people in our churches, our communities, and we say to them, so imagine this being said to you, we want you to be responsible for saying and acting among us what we believe about God and the kingdom and the gospel. In other words, we want you to be a visual reminder to us in what you say and what you do, remind us what we believe in your life and in your speech. And I I really thought, what a great way to frame, actually, the whole Christian life. This isn't unique to pastors, is that what we say, what we do are reminders. But he moves from that into prayer. And I'll tell you one of the things that I thought was really interesting to me about prayer. This is a little bit of a sideline into something that's interesting, is he talks about the Greeks and the Hebrews. And the Greeks have the best stories ever. If you think about it, most of our great stories, other than the Bible, are Greek stories. I mean, the great tragedies, the great heroes, the mythology, all these powerful ideas. And he said, you know, the Greeks had a story for every occasion. They explained their world by telling stories, whether it's, you know, the, a myth about something that gave you an important idea about life. Aesop's fables, you know, the they had a story for everything. He said, but the Hebrews had a prayer for every occasion. Mm. And that's what the book of Psalms is, is where the Greeks had a story to explain life. It's the Hebrews had a prayer for every occasion of life. And I thought that was a really interesting observation about us as being the inheritors of the book of Psalms is, do we look to stories to make sense of our world? Or do we look to prayer to make sense of our world? I, what, how do you react to that? That was a very interesting insight to me. Yeah, his emphasis on prayer is really central to his whole vocation, his whole idea of being a Christian, that this dialogue going on with God constantly is what keeps us in the will of God and what helps us to do the will of God. He has a chapter in that book um, where he starts to talk about what prayer really looks like. And uh, this it's called praying by the book in working the angles. I think in the contemplative pastor, it's right. called maybe called praying with eyes open. Yeah. And it, it's where we re-envision our prayer life as communion with God. And where we begin to dialogue with God and talk to God about the things that really matter to us and the things that really matter to our people. So instead of just coming with a to-do list for God, coming to commune with him, 
to sit in his presence, to pray the scriptures back to him. One of the things that Peterson is really committed to is praying the Bible out loud. And one of the really powerful portraits of Eugene Peterson is in the book that was written by Wynne Collier called A Burning in My Bones. And in the opening part of that book, it, it talks about one of his sons going at breakfast time to go get his dad, who's down in their basement, which was his study in their house. I think this is when they were still in Maryland. And he goes down and and Peterson is down there. He's got a little prayer set up. He's got an altar almost in his uh, study. And he's wrapped in a prayer shawl and he's on the ground and he's chanting the Hebrew Psalms as prayers. It was just an integral part of his life. And by doing that, he wasn't just uh, doing it for show, obviously. He was doing it to join in with the prayers that that have been prayed by Christians and by Jews for thousands of years. This is an ordained mm-hmm. way of speaking back to God, using God's own words to speak back to him. And that was that's always been a big takeaway for me from Eugene Peterson is using the words of Scripture to come alive and saturate our life, especially in the way that we talk back to God. I think you're right on there. There's a great quote in uh, that chapter, Praying by the Book. And this also hit me a little bit because uh, he says this. He says, prayer is never the first word. It is always the second word. And what he means is this. God has the first word. Prayer is essentially answering speech. It is not us addressing God, but responding to God, to what mm-hmm. he said, what he's done. And that changed my view of prayer a little bit. Instead of, hi, God, knock, knock, I'm here, and I came to say something to you, this really changed the way I thought about it. And that mm-hmm. was, I'm here, God knows I'm here, God's already been acting in my life, I want to respond. And what better way to respond than praying the Psalms, praying the words of Scripture themselves? That mm-hmm. was very Uh, That was very impactful to me. When it comes to scripture, you know, prayer and scripture are really linked together for Peterson. And when it comes to scripture, he, I'll never forget reading this chapter, uh, turning eyes into ears, where he talks about the psalmist asking God to dig new ears and uh, that we come without spiritual ears, you know, in our sin in the state that we are outside of Christ, we we actually don't have working spiritual ears. And part of becoming a Christian is God digging out new ear canals for us to hear with the ears of our hearts, to hear what he has to say and to speak to us, not just generally, but personally. And there's a whole lifelong pursuit then of learning to hear from God through his word. And that's probably the pursuit that Peterson gave himself to most completely, one of the things that's always interested me about him is he's a pastor, and that's what he did vocationally for 30 years, but he's also right. a scholar. In fact, his education mm-hmm. is really stout and significant for a pastor. So he went and did his master's and PhD in Semitic languages, ended up essentially what we would call a Hebrew scholar. Right. He is very familiar with the biblical languages, the biblical texts, the background of the biblical texts. And that comes through in a lot of his study of scripture. He's a writer. He's an artist. He's literary. He thinks in literary kinds of ways. In fact, sometimes I 
sometimes when I've read these books with people working the angles or other others of Peterson's work, if you don't have a little bit of a literary mind, Peterson can be really hard to read because everything right. is really abstract, metaphorical images. He's interacting with poetry. He he is a poet. In fact, there are collections of his right. poems that are really profound, but he has that bent. And so everything he does as a pastor is kind of, you look at it and you say, that's kind of a odd artistic way of going about doing that. Well, that comes full circle in his study of scripture. He doesn't just know mm-hmm. the background. He doesn't just know the text. He being that he is a poet and a writer is able to take scripture and translate it into everyday life in really fresh, wonderful ways. So much so that the way that Peterson is known to most people is through the message. Right. And I I always kind of lament that that's the way Peterson is known because I think the message means a lot more and you, you can get a lot more out of the message if you understand what Peterson was trying to do broadly and then you place the message in that. Whereas most people just know, oh, the message, it's a really accessible paraphrase, um, right. really easy to read, but you miss some of what he's trying to do. So the, the the origin of the message is when he's preaching or teaching a Bible study through the book of Galatians, he feels like nobody in the church is really getting it. Nobody's really understanding what's going on in the book of Galatians. And so during that study, what he does is he produces a translation that he's trying to take the emphasis of the original Greek and put it in a way that it makes sense to people in today's mm-hmm. language. And it there was a radical change. People started to really engage with the series. They got what he thought was the message of Galatians. And so he started to do this a few more times. And it wasn't until he had retired, actually, and gone to Regent to teach that somebody approached him and said, why, why don't you do the whole Bible that way? Right. And so over the course of, I think, almost a decade, he works to translate the Bible into the everyday language, making the metaphors hit the way they would have hit then today and helping people to see the text as they would have seen then. And and for that reason, the message is not a translation like the NIV or the ESV or the King James. It's a paraphrase. It's somewhere between a translation, and a commentary. It's mm-hmm. not trying to be word for word, but it's trying to evoke the same idea and imagery that the Bible is in a way that modern people can understand. And almost all of Eugene's Peterson, Eugene Peterson's ministry is surrounding this goal mm-hmm. of making the text real and vibrant to people today like it would have been to the original readers. I completely agree. He has a statement in uh, Working the Angles when he talks about reading the text, and he's lamenting that uh, in in ancient times, being a disciple, which is what we're called to be and what we're called to make, you weren't just listening to what Jesus taught you and getting the information. You were that. You wanted to know what was true, but you also wanted to know Jesus, who he is, how he behaved how that plays out in his life. And that's discipleship. And he contrasts that with what we call schooling, which is we just want the facts and we want to pass the test. You know, when they heard the Sermon on the Mount, they they heard the truth of what he was saying, but they also wanted to see who was saying it. And he has this quote. He says, we have been habituated 
to look for information when we read rather than being in relationship with a person who once spoke and wrote so we could heard what was said. Mm-hmm. And he's not saying you shouldn't learn from gathering information, but he says when he reads scripture, just like you were saying, Cole, he reads not just to get what it is saying literally, he is doing that, but he also wants to hear the person behind that, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ behind it. And I think that's what you're saying is, is in the message, it's an attempt to truthfully tell you what it says, but also to give you a sense of who's saying it right. and making it relevant. And I think that was eye-opening to me because I'm more analytical. You know, we both have math degrees. We're pretty analytical. We're good. Uh, we absorb a lot of data. We are able to take that data and make sense of it. And that's great. That's just the way some people are wired. Peterson's not wired that way. And one of the things I liked about reading Peterson is he was so very different than I was. I realized right away that I could learn a lot from him because he saw the world a little differently than I did. Mm -hmm. Certainly a different paradigm, different way of seeing things, different way of thinking that makes his writing so interesting. I, I think part of the way he comes to the text is he has what I call a biblical imagination where yes. he really believes that we live in the same world that the Bible describes. It's really easy to open up your Bible and think this is kind of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. There's not right. a real connection between us and them. But Peterson has a way of almost inhabiting these stories in a responsible way that connects their world then and our world now. So he thinks about you know when he's in the butcher shop at, at his at his dad's butcher shop when he's a kid uh-huh. wearing the priestly robes and thinking right. about the meaning of dressing for a certain task and what that could tell us about what are sometimes kind of boring texts in the book of Exodus where it describes the priestly garments he makes that come alive because he realizes that's our same world the significance there translates into the significance here And he does that with all kinds of Bible stories that we would kind of stand at a distance from. He, because he has this biblically charged imagination, he interprets things with biblical categories, stories, images, and people. Exactly. It's funny that you mentioned that word imagination because in the uh, under the unpredictable plant in that book, near the end, he has a great quote about this. He starts talking about uh, our culture doesn't uh, does not see imagination as being as useful as just data collection and manipulation. And while there's room for both of them, he says this. He says, one of the big evils of our time is the degradation of the imagination. He says the imagination is one of the chief glories of the human. And I had not thought mm-hmm. about that. It's one of the chief glories of being human. And when it is healthy and energetic, it ushers us into adoration and wonder. Mm. And I thought, how very, very true. And at that time, I happened to be reading this. I was teaching the book of Revelation. And you know that in chapter four, the first vision opens onto the throne room. And as you read that chapter and you get to the end, and I read it out loud because I realized it's going to sound different. You get at the end, you get the, the creature's shouting, holy, 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 and the elders falling down on their face and offering their crowns. And it's like this big crescendo of worship. And all of a sudden it hit me that reading that with imagination 
made it much more powerful and made it leap off the page. Mm. So I think you're touching on that idea of imagination is really one of the key traits of Peterson. Yeah, he's he's able to conceive of the things that happen in his life through biblical categories and and biblical principles. And it brings the Bible into your regular life in a way that no cheap, quick, practical life hack application right. can do. You are surrounded by the wonder of praise, like in the revelation scene that you described, or in the lament that David has, or in the excitement of Samuel going to anoint a new king, or Pat John on the island of Patmos, what, what, whatever it is, yeah. he's able to draw out the really personal and experiential parts of those stories and convince us that things like that actually are still happening today. And that your life is actually marked by and characterized right. by the same actions of God then that they are now. Same God, same way of working in the world. This concept of biblical imagination, I, I think, is something I, I think any pastor, any Christian should try to learn from Eugene Peterson, is to really get in and inhabit the text. Make it make sense in your own experience by studying it so in-depth that you get why real people were making real decisions and real historical events were shaping what people were saying and how they were responding or the interaction of two people and why a certain person might say something that they said. That that level of engagement helps us to develop our own imagination to say, oh, I see what God might be doing here, or I, right. I get the sense of what this is leading to, or this is a principle in the Christian life that always ebbs and flows. That's something I haven't seen other writers do as well, and it's a little bit hard to put your finger on, but when you read something by Eugene Peterson, you become absorbed in the biblical world, and it becomes your right. world. Well, that's a great way of saying that. It's you know, it's it's too easy in a lot of popular Christian literature from people that don't actually understand the biblical world and don't understand the text very well. It's going to sound critical, and it is. And don't understand the text. The temptation is to write a book then that takes the text and customizes it to me and my situation to make me feel better, to make me feel encouraged, me, me, me. What Peterson does so well is I'm always encouraged when I read him. I always enter the biblical world. But the difference is, is it's not the Bible being applied to me. It's him pulling me into the eternal truths of the Bible right. and, the, and realizing it's not that I need the Bible and bring it into my life. It's I'm living a biblical life right now. I just need to see that reflection in the scripture. He, as a scholar, I appreciate the fact that he didn't cheapen the scripture by turning it into a life hack. He just said, if you see it truly, you will see yourself in it. And mm. he's absolutely right. Yeah, uh, that's a good summary of what he's doing in all of his books, and especially in the message, is helping us to have that experience. Uh, one of my big takeaways just from Eugene Peterson, again, never having met him, don't even know anybody that knows him. But he, you can just tell through his books and through his appearances and speaking that he was just a truly humble person. Yes. And I'll never forget one of the stories he tells. And I think this is in a YouTube video that Zondervan or somebody put out. When he was translating the message, he 
was out in Montana at his family's land, which is where he lived about the last 15, 20 years of his life. And they went there every mm-hmm. summer. Anyway, so he's out there translating. And in the meantime, Bono from U2 has come across the message, the Psalms that are out. And he's just yeah, fallen in love with them it. in pieces. Yeah, right. And he really wants to meet Eugene Peterson. So he connects with Peterson's agent and he says, hey, we're going to we're doing a show and we'd love to have Eugene and his wife, Jan, come to the show. They can do backstage. We get to talk for a while and they'll get to see the show, you know, from the side and it'll be awesome. So the agent calls Eugene Peterson is like, wow, Bono invited you backstage at his concert. And Peterson goes, who's Bono? Yeah. And the agent is like, I can't believe this This is like one of the biggest bands that's ever existed in the world. And they love your stuff. You can't say no to this. It's Bono. And he goes, well, I have to say no. It's Isaiah because he's currently translating the prophet (laughs) Isaiah. And so he turns him down the first time. And then Uh they end up, he invites him again. He ends up going to a concert and meeting him. And then Bono ends up coming out to Montana and they strike up a really deep friendship in the last few years of Peterson's life. But he, you know, that just really puts it into perspective. No, it's, it's Isaiah, you know, his, his work of translating the scriptures, communing with God was the most important thing. And, and he was not given to celebrity. He was not given to notoriety. Uh, the message has got to be one of the most successful books any person has written in the last 50 years. And uh, he never once went around like he was something. He was grateful for the success. I think he enjoyed the fact that a lot of people were reading it because he knew that that would lead them into a deeper relationship with God. But he wasn't on the conference circuit he wasn't making a lot of appearances when he right. retired as a very successful pastor who never let his congregation grow more than about 350 or 400 where he could know everybody's name. He went back to his family land in Montana, prayed, wrote books, worked to build up the church. I've always really respected that as part of his legacy. We could use more non-celebrity pastors, the Tim Kellers, and, and there are many. I'm leaving people out, but Tim Kellers and Eugene Petersons are huge, bigger than most of the big names we know in terms of their impact and their importance. And, and yet you, you don't know that because of the humility. Well, I'll share the if I had to pick one most impactful thing that's impacted my daily life more from Eugene Peterson. Now, there are so many things I couldn't pick, but there's one thing that has changed something I do every day. In the book, Under the Unpredictable Plan, as he's moving through the the life, you know, the story of Jonah, one of the things is, uh, he says, when Jonah went to Nineveh, he obviously didn't care whether they believed or not. He, he had to go preach because he figured out the hard way, I better go do what God says. And so he goes and he preaches. He is not only shocked, he's angered that they actually listen to him and repent. I mean, he is absolutely furious, but he's shocked. Like, what are you? These are the these are the Assyrians. I mean, he hates them and he's shocked that they do that. And here's Peterson's takeaway from this. This is what you were talking about. It's not just a commentary. He's going to pull something else. He said this. He said that in that story, you realize when you're reading it that. God got to Nineveh before Jonah got there. 
Hmm. God was already there working, apparently, before Jonah came in and did his pathetic little attempt at preaching to them. And he has this quote. He said, so over the course of the years as a pastor, he said, I do a lot of visits and pastoral care. He said, I no longer consider my visits or appointments as duties of pastoral care, but as occasions for original research. He said, I go to these appointments with the same diligence and curiosity that I might bring to a study of Galatians with Paul. He says in every visit, and this is the sentence that really hit me, in every visit, in every meeting I attend, in every appointment I keep, I have been anticipated. The risen Christ got there ahead of me. Hmm. And from the time I read that, I began in every appointment that I do, I say a little prayer. And I, you know, I say, God, you know, various things. One of my common prayers is, Lord, help me see what builds up in this situation. But what got me started saying that prayer is that sentence reminded me that I'm not blazing new territory for God. Mm. The risen Christ has already gotten there ahead of me. And I will be forever grateful to Eugene Peterson for putting that thought in my head. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.